Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Tracking Shot Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Spencer. And I'm Taylor Dodson. And we're joined by a third co-host today, and his name is Grandpa Gohan, and he's my cat. So if you hear any strange hacking noises or purring or meowing, you know you know who it is. But he's on my lap. He's very cute. He's very warm, and I don't want to move him, so he's just going to stay for the, for, the, for the podcast, I guess. He's very welcome to uh, stay. Today, we're talking about uh, The Cotton Club, a movie directed by Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. and, and I believe one of the first roles for his nephew, Nicolas Cage. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. It, I really like Nicolas Cage. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about this, because my opinions on Nicolas Cage are well-documented. I really like Nicolas Cage. There was there was a time where he was making a bunch of bad movies, but honestly, I mean, Whomst Among Us hasn't had a moment where we were all making a bunch of bad movies. Yeah. I'm currently in the period of not making a bunch of bad movies. So, uh, no, it's it's very, always very strange to hear about familial connections in Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, especially when the types of movies that Nicolas Cage is like most known for are so different than the types of movies that Francis Ford Coppola makes. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it's um, the Cotton Club is named after and is about a nightclub in Hollywood, a jazz nat- nightclub in Hollywood. What am I talking about? Harlem. Harlem. I don't know why I said. I'm <laughs> thinking about Nicolas Cage. In Harlem. Uh, in the 1930s. 1930s, yeah. And this is the first movie we talk about music on this podcast a lot and this is the first movie that has a direct connection between music and the performance thereof to the mafia it's it's the first time we've seen an actual plot mm-hmm. hard hard connection between music and the mafia mm-hmm. um, and I think that's really interesting because then it adds another layer to well also the music that we're hearing is kind of complicit in in the movie right um whereas in in most other circumstances it's been um adjacent to it this is directly involved Mm -hmm. um i think a good direct correlation of that is cab calloway um in his song millie minnie the moocher um there's her significant other i did that in air quotes um (laughs) in the song Smokey is addicted to drugs. Mafia. Drugs. Millie Moocher. Cab Calloway. Cotton Club. It's, it's like that always sunny frame of all the line, of him like standing in front of the wall <laughs> with all the lines connecting everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and on top of that, like, there's, there's discussions of exploitation of, of, Performers mm-hmm. in this movie and exploitation by the mafia and because of the mafia um, that is is really interesting. I mean, um, on top of that, there is the layer of of racial segregation mm-hmm. uh, of the club. Most of the performers in the club are black, and most of the customers are white. Um, and it and most of the mafia is white. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lead that that lends another layer of depth to okay why are some of these things happening the way that they are and who is pulling the strings here um, 
Yeah, and the composer is actually somebody pretty pretty uh, accomplished, I would say. Right. So the soundtrack was made by um, John Barry, um, and he composed the scores for 11 of the James Bond films uh, between 1963 and 1987, um, and he was the one that arranged and performed the James Bond theme uh, to the first film in the series. Um, he was a Grammy award-winning, Academy award-winning composer. Um, his full name is John Barry Prendergast. So that's something. Where's he from? Um, I want to say Britain. He's Yorkshire, yeah, and you're from Yorkshire. Yep. Um, Pendergast is a very York Yorkish name. It sounds like. Yeah. Um. Um. But something cool about this is he, so he wrote the soundtrack for this film specifically for this film. It's not like he released like released an album and then Cotton Club was like, "Yo, let's use this." Right. He did it specifically for this, obviously, because it was in 18, 1984 and not 1930 when this stuff was actually happening. Right. Um, but they released it as an album, um, which happens often now. Um, and it won the Grammy Award for Best Jazz Instrumental Performance Big Band in 1986. And I find that, one, it released in... December 1984 and won a Grammy in 1986. The Grammys have a weird, I know they have a weird uh, time period for what is considered in different years. Right. Um, but I that seems like a long time. I think anything released after like November of a previous year is then thrown into the next year. And the next year's winnings aren't until the next year. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, like, since it was in December 1984, it was technically in the 1985 year, year. of awards. And then the award was given in, in 1986. Yeah. I think that's how that, that works. That sounds right. That seems um, like the only way that that would work. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's pretty cool that... They were able to get somebody so cool. Uh, I mean, it was right in the middle of him doing all of this cool stuff that he was doing. Um, I guess towards the end of it, because he started doing the James Bond films in uh, 1963. So, um, and and the interesting thing about this winning a Grammy is it didn't win as a as a. As a soundtrack. As a soundtrack, for one. Yeah, definitely. That, that's something is that it gets put, it is put up against music for the sake of music rather than music for the sake of a, of a film. Mm -hmm. um, and also, the 80s, especially the middle of the 80s, was a really weird time for jazz. Um, I love jazz music. Like, jazz music is my lifeblood. I'm looking at my shelf over there and I have all however many discs of Ken Burns's jazz documentary, yeah. uh, which isn't even about the real kind of jazz that I like. Um, <laughs> but um, big band music is, in my opinion, like pretty corny. Like it's, it's, it's it not always been corny, like especially when it was in its heyday in the 30s and 40s. Right. Um, 
kind of before the rise of bebop and then in post bebop when everybody just started dropping acid and making the craziest things you've ever heard um just straight riffing yeah straight riffing like there were some like one of my favorite albums uh miles davis's bitches brew which is a Kind of a terrible name, but also just an amazing name. Uh, there are two drummers on that album oh. playing at the same time. That it's, sounds awful. It's amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, so in the 80s, I can actually understand a little bit more why a film soundtrack would have won this Grammy because there probably weren't very many jazz or big band albums coming out at the time. Right. And also... I just read something that confused me. Apparently, Miles Davis's Bitches Brew won this Grammy in 1971. Nice. That's not a big band. <laughs> that, like, it, it's called Large Ensemble. I guess it got, it's been changed. Yeah. In, in 1971, when Bitches Brew won, it was called Best Instrumental Jazz Performance, Large Group or Soloist with Large Group. <laughs> oh, large Group or Soloist with Large Group. I guess Bitches Brew would have been soloist with large group because there were like six or seven people on that record. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. I don't really know why that it won. In 1967, nobody won. Um, (laughs) Sick. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes makes sense that this would win because, I mean, this movie was fairly successful. Um, And... I feel like people, even though it is corny, people like this kind of jazz. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of jazz people are like, oh, I can listen to that kind of jazz. Right. Not everyone can listen to Drop, straight riffing. Dropping acid. Yeah. Straight, yeah. Well, y'all are missing out. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it, I definitely can see it being more palatable. It's just kind of like... What? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's <laughs> but a, also, how many other, how many other big band... Yeah, I mean the year released. the year after the Cotton Club's album won, um, the Tonight Show band with Doc Severinsen won. Sick. So I guess that was just like an album of recordings from the show, or maybe yeah. the band went in the studio and recorded a show. But right. I, I, like, I don't know. It's very strange to consider that, considering now like, um, what's his name? What's the Fallon's band is the Roots, right. which is a hip hop, classically hip hop group. Uh, mm. Great band. Um, anyways. Back to the Cotton Club. I was kind of about the Cotton Club, but um, kind of how we were talking about earlier. Um, the music and the exploitation of the of the black performers in the movie um, not only feels like an indictment of the way the mafia treated treated black individuals and black performers, but also when you look at how can't remember the character's name. Um, I'm blanking. I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Um, Same when Dixie he oh. starts to become a Hollywood, Hollywood film star, mm-hmm. um, you start to see the way. You start to see a commentary of exploitation of black performers, in show business as well. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, yes, the movie is directly connecting the mafia and these performers, but it's also indirectly connecting the mafia and Hollywood. Um, and that is kind of Co- Coppola. Coppola always 
not always, but lots of times Coppola sort of punches one step above his his commentary and his metaphor. I mean, Godfather, Godfather and Godfather Two eventually become less about the workings of the mafia and more of the workings of a capitalist structure. Right. And I mean, it, it, very evidenced in Godfather Two when he's in Senate hearings, he's yeah. in hearings in the House of Congress, right. um, and it's just it is just straight up showing how these two systems are fundamentally the same thing. Right. Um, and, and Cotton Club does a similar thing, and we'll talk about Godfather 2, Godfather and Godfather 2 again here soon, and Godfather 3. Um, <laughs> but Cotton Club does a similar thing of, yes, we're talking about the direct ma- machinations of how this system works, but also let's talk about how this system is not limited to this organized crime. This system is rampant in Hollywood, it is rampant in the United States government, it's rampant in the music industry, mm-hmm. um, so on and so forth. Um, it's ramp- I mean, it's rampant in wartime Italy, especially, mm-hmm. uh, World War II Italy. Uh, and and that, that always adds an extra layer, or an extra caliber, to some of the things that he's trying to say with his films, I yeah. would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you want to talk about tap? Yeah, let's talk about tap. How do you? What's so, your relationship with tap dancing music? None. Okay. I don't have a relationship with tap dancing music. Um, but I think it's cool that tapping creates music. Like, tap dancers can dance to music, or they can just dance and create music right. with their taps. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, and we see that the biggest like standout scene for that is when Sandman is tapping at the Cotton Club, um, and all the mobsters get killed. It's like going back and forth. Oh yeah, between him tapping yes. in the spotlight, like getting his moment in the spotlight, and then um, all the mobsters getting killed. Yeah. Um, very similar to that scene in The Godfather where uh, Michael's child is being baptized and everybody else is getting blah, blah, blah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, 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 and the, again, that one, that the movie's definition of a soundtrack is much wider than a tr- maybe a more traditional soundtrack would be because mm-hmm. you have the music as part of the plot di- it's there diegetically and then you also have less uh, constructed or specific music that is there to present just a specific sound and then that sound is specifically a metaphor of gunshots or whatever you want to call it of mm-hmm. cutting between juxtaposing between the dancing and the the death of all these people mm-hmm. and they they overlap um like as we're watching people get shot we're still hearing right. him tapping but we're also hearing the gunshots and say, and vice versa we'll cut back to him and hear people like gurgling because they're dying yeah so I thought it was really interesting. I just watched the film 
again uh, right before we I came here to record this. So it's yeah. all really fresh in my mind. So I'm having a hard time like articulating. Really, yeah. yeah. No, I understand. Um, when you watch a movie right before you talk about it, it's weird. Yeah, you you, you have all <laughs> of these thoughts that you want to unspool, but they're not. Yeah. Ready? They're not. They're not. They're not out of the oven yet. They're mm -hmm. like. They're baking. They're baking. Yeah. Um. Or are we just baked? No. We are not. We're not baked. <laughs> We're not baked. Grandpa might be. Grandpa Gohan might be baked. Um, That's pretty baked. He's he's snoozing. Mm -hmm. Um. I guess another another quick note about this movie in particular is. It doesn't feel like movies like this, get made anymore. It feels like a movie very much of its time. Mm -hmm. There's so many characters. Yeah. And so many different things happening at one time. Right. And it's but that's not part of the style. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is not like disorienting purposefully or un unpurposefully. Mm -hmm. um, it, it feels like it's it's fairly easy to follow if you're paying attention and to understand everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, yeah, it just doesn't feel like... It feels like movies today are much more singularly focused. And this is not me saying, back back in the day, movies were so much better back in the day. <laughs> it's just an observation on the change in, in style of what people want to see. Because, right. I mean, this movie... They weren't huge names at the time, but there were um, a bunch of up-and-coming stars in, in here. Um, like Tom Waits was in it, who's a, a musician. Um, Nicolas Cage. Uh, where, where Was Richard here already famous I when believe, he played Dixie? I believe so. I don't think he would be... He might not have been at the top of his game. Um... But, well, I mean, he started in the mid-70s, so he was, he had been in movies, yeah. but his first Golden Globe nomination was in 1982. Okay, so right before. Oh, yeah, and he won two Academy Awards. <laughs> when you scroll over Academy Awards on Wikipedia now, it shows a picture of Rami Malek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm upset. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, so, I mean, he, yes, he was definitely getting there. Mm -hmm. Um, he was a recognizable name, at yeah, least. absolutely. May um, not have been an A-list celebrity, but. Yeah. Um. Diane Lane. She was famous. Yeah, she was nominated for this movie for a Razzie for Worst Supporting Actress. Oh, sick. Which the Razzies are, I mean, are just as bad and terrible as the Oscars. Right. Um, They're just spoofy. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it, it's just... Stylistically, this kind of movie does not get made as much anymore. Yeah. At least on a, as big of a budget. Oh, and then another interesting note. Um, in 2015, Coppola found a Betamax copy of this movie that was 25 minutes longer than the, the theatrical cut that came out. Um, and he spent over $500,000 restoring this Betamax to full quality and released it in, I think, 2017 as uh, the Cotton Club uh, Encore. 
and running 139 minutes, so two hours and 20 minutes-ish, two hours, 19 minutes. Yeah. Um, which, for Coppola, is still relatively short. short. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, so that's really interesting. I haven't seen that version. I'd like to... Yeah, I wonder what else could have been added. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, if it was like the end, maybe more of those two running off The together. dancing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I have no idea. I, I, I would be interested to find that. I, I wonder if it's a... Uh, if it's a uh, Blu-ray, if there's a Blu-ray copy out there, or if it's just digital, or it was released in 2017. I'm sure there's a Blu-ray copy yeah. somewhere. Um, I almost wonder if maybe it was that that end scene when the train station, mm-hmm. when one guy turns himself in because he broke parole, and then right Sandman and what's her face get married, and uh, Dixie goes to get his train and Vera's there like all of that's happening while there's people dancing in the train station and it's going back and forth between a train station in quotes uh dance scene right. at the cotton club right so it's doing that yeah. juxtaposition thing it, again it could be yeah shows I, them in their nightlife and their day life yeah but in the same kind of setting of a train station the next so I just time wonder if it's more of that yeah the next time I watch this I'm gonna watch this version uh, it debuted at the Telluride Film Festival in uh, September 1st, 2017. When originally editing the picture, Coppola acquiesced to distributors who wanted a shorter film with a different structure. Hmm. hmm. So I wonder if I wonder if it's a. Lots of times, directors' cuts are just like here's like an extra two or three scenes sprinkled in the middle of it. But I think my favorite directors' cuts or or editors' cuts or whatever. Um, are when the movie is fundamentally different. Yeah. There's a, there's a total change in what, how the movie tells its story. I mean, Blade Runner did that. Blade Runner had like four director's cuts until in 2007 they had the final cut. <laughs> buddy, you okay? You okay, buddy? Um, <laughs> Come on. So yeah, I, I'll definitely watch that and, um, and, and see what's up with that. Um, but unless you have anything else, I think... I think I covered everything. Yeah. Um, he's gone. He just jumped real big. All right. I think that's all I've got to say about Cop yeah, Club. Cool. We covered the, the music pretty well. Watch this movie. It's a good movie. It is good. I enjoyed it. For, watch for my boy, Nicky Cage. Mm-hmm. He's real good. I don't care about Nicky. I love Nicky Cage. She's so good. You should. Everybody should watch Mandy. Mandy is an amazing movie. Uh, it is like a coke fueled murder fest thing. It's oh, it's so good. It's very good. Anyways, also watch Cotton Club. Thank, yeah. Thanks everybody. Um, see you all, or or well, we won't see you. You'll hear us next. Time. Eventually. I think we're doing the other Scarface next. Speaking of coke fueled. Sick. Yeah. Cool. I'm Taylor. I'm Chris. And that's Gohan. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.